You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Morning, we thank you. We worship you from the very depths of our hearts. Lord, we thank you for that person who is in the service today who finds it hard to raise a song. Lord, we ask that as we minister your word, uh, let burdens be lifted up, let uh, chains be broken. Lord, speak to us, encourage, strengthen us, do, uh, Lord, the supernatural in this place. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Help me tell the person next to you, you're going to get a miracle this week. Yep. If I tell them the first miracle is that I'm sitting next to you. <laughs> All right. And help me just tell them again in case they didn't hear you earlier. Tell them I love you very much. All right. Yeah. And if, if when somebody tells you I love you very much, something is... <laughs> you just need to stay in God's presence and you get... You get, uh, you get comfortable with it. Thank you for coming to church. It's a wonderful week for us at, uh, across all the expressions at Elevation Church because this week we celebrate nine years of being Elevation Church. Um, and, and it's just God's faithfulness and God's kindness that has brought us this far. Um, one of the things that has been a huge honor for me in life was to be part of the launch team. Um, for the Elevation Church. And so we started, even at a time when we were saying, what will the logo be? Where would we meet? And all that. Um, I remember going in a car with uh, Wale Shinobala, who is Pastor Busola, uh, Pastor Busola is a deputy resident pastor, her husband. And we went around the city of Lagos trying to find a venue. Um, but see what God can do in nine years. Um, we've got, I think it's, what, where we, so there's the Island Church, there's the mainland church, there's Life Point, there's Canada, there's Greater Lekki, there's Ikorudu. And God is just blessing lives and transforming lives. At the, towards the end of the service, we'll play a video that just talks about our move as a church. But I just want to, on this day, encourage somebody again that God can take absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And in nine years, I don't know, for you, maybe it will be five years. For you, maybe it's two years. For you, it might be 20 years. But God can take absolutely nothing and create something out of it. So I don't know where your heart is. I don't know what is around you. The Bible says in the beginning, the earth was without form. It was void. And that's exactly how we were. But thank God for how far he's brought us. Tell the person next to you, you're going far. You're going very far. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. I mean, I think it's... I mean, things are happening. It was an interesting week. There was water everywhere yesterday. Lots of water. All right. Um, uh, there was a wedding that didn't happen. Um, no, just wait. Just let's wait. Um, somebody ran a, a marathon under two, two hours. All right. Yeah. That's how much time it takes some of us to get from home to work. But... But things are happening, and it's going to be a fascinating end of the year for someone. All right? Yeah? It's going to be a fascinating end of the year for someone. All right. I'm going to try and preach very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> but I'll tell you what it is. So we started last week talking about the history of the church. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul says here, it says, uh, read verse 19, it says, And therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. It says, and are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And we said, look, we are not as a church, as a people, we are not orphans. We are not just um, random, that is it. That this, was, this, has been, this work is being built upon something. That we are not the first ones to be Christians. All right? And last week we started the conversation and said, uh, even before the church as we know it was birthed, that God using types and shadows began to show in Israel what he would want to do with man. So you could almost say that Israel was the first church. So 1 Peter 2.9, I think we read this last week. Uh, it says that you are a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, called forth out of darkness. All right? And that was one set of people had been called forth before. And when we read Hebrews, he says, look, these guys were given for us as an example. And I remember saying last week how that God plans in advance. God is very intentional. And just encouraging us that prophecy is not something to be despised or looked at lightly. And the fact that something, uh, that there's a counterfeit of stuff doesn't mean the original is no longer valuable. All right? And just that God, when he loves us and in his love for us, will begin to show us his plans for us in advance. And so help me ask the person next to you, what prophecies are you holding on to? What prophecies are you holding on to? Yeah? yeah? There's biblical prophecy. There's prophecy that God will give you personally. There's that which he would give you in the midst of the church. Acts 13, I think, says, as they worship and minister, then God began to speak. Says, set aside Paul and Barnabas. All right? The Bible says that there's, it says every word of God is inspired, is useful. There is prophecy, and it's so useful. That, so there's biblical prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. And we talked about how Jesus will say, that I have come to fulfill the volume of the books that have been written about me. There, there's nothing about your life that is surprising to God. Let's thank Timmy again for sharing her God experience. Thank you so much. And, and you know that conversation, she says, look, you know, she knows that these things were not surprising to God. And so today I want us to progress that thought. On, so we're approaching this in, in two ways. I'm going to try and just scribble on the board today. We're approaching this in two ways, Right? Uh, in one way, we're saying from, from, you know, from Israel, sorry if you can't see, Israel is A-E-L, right? Hmm. It's a, it's a bit early in the message. Are you sure? Because when I write, okay, but it's fine. From Israel all the way to the early church, all the way, all the way down to life points, right? <laughs> all the way down. We're going, we're going to follow this all the way down. On Wednesdays, we are coming in reverse. Somewhere here, God begins to write letters to the churches, right? And he begins to, so yes, on, on Sunday, for, on Wednesday, we, we read through the letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus, right? And so we're kind of driving one way on Wednesdays, but this is the natural path we should go. So if you've not been here on Wednesdays, please do come. On this last Wednesday, we said uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus was a simple one. Yeah, Jesus says to them, I know your labor, I know your works, I know your patience. He says, you've tried those who are apostles, who say they're apostles but are not. He says, um, in another place he says, he, he talks again about their persistence and their patience, and he says, look, one thing I have against you is that you've forgotten your first love. And then he speaks about the fact that uh, they, they, there's something called the works of the Nicolaitan, oh, 
Nicolaitis. Oh, thank you. Oh, how did I go through all this? But that, so, but that conversation for us on Wednesday for me was really a blessing. And we said there's a way we've taught grace in church out of Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, for by grace are you saved um, through faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. That we have come to the place where we religiously and very intellectually and very boldly say works are not useful. But we say when Jesus somewhere there begins to look at the churches and talk to them, one of the things he says consistently is that I know your works. And so grace produces works. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will say that because of the grace of God, I have labored even more. And so on Wednesday we said, what are, what are, how are we laboring? Yeah, as Christians, how are we working? What is the proof of God working in our lives? And we talked about the fact that he said, you have forgotten your first love. Anyway, um, that was it. I'm not going to recite the whole message again. It's on SoundCloud. But we're going to do another, we're going to go to, we're going to visit another church this Wednesday. I think it's the one called um, Smina. Smina. Thank you. I think that's how it's spelled. And we're going to visit that church on, on, uh, on, on Wednesday. But today, I want us to look at the first hundred years of the church. This was before most of us were born, right? Most of us, yeah. <laughs> All right. But Jesus shows up on the earth. And I hope you know why Jesus came. He came because of you, right? He came because of us. He shows up on the earth, teaches for a couple of years, heals, models love, um, attacks the way of thinking and doing things, and then drama. They crucify him. I keep saying this, guys. But when you read through scripture, you must, be, you must see yourself here. I, I'm, I'm, I've been recently feeling very loved because when I think of Jesus going to the cross, one of the names I know he has on his heart as he is going is Idris. He, he's thinking about this tall, dark, handsome chap yeah, who will arrive in Lagos in the two, well, I arrived in Lagos in 2000. And he's saying, no way will we allow this guy be under the bondage of sin, sickness, or poverty, separated from God. So he has Chinea in his heart. Yeah. He's got Samuel on his heart. He's got Falabi as he's going down that road. So sometimes when no one has sent you a text message and you're feeling a bit blue, remember that before these people came, Jesus was thinking about you. When no one has liked your, your post on Instagram, before Instagram came, if you came in, God was thinking about you. Tell the person next to you, God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. Tell them your boyfriend or your girlfriend doesn't love you like God. Eh? And use the appropriate one, please. If you're talking to a guy, girlfriend or wife. Ah, Holy Spirit. So Jesus dies. In Acts chapter 1, he says to them, look, guys, there's prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. He says, don't head out yet and try and do things. He says, would you go and gather in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father? Right? Um, he says the Holy Spirit will come. Um, I think it's Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. 
and being commanded and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says, You have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. All right? And then they have a conversation with him. So I'm going to try and track what happens in the first hundred years of church. It is not easy to do in, in the time that we have, but there's one or two things I sense God wants to drag us into this morning. So one of the things, firstly, is that they stay in Jerusalem, yeah? And then they realize they need to replace a guy called Judas. We know what's happened with Judas. He's taking money uh, so that they can betray, so he can betray Jesus. He took, I think it's 30 or 40 shekels of silver. And then, but he's then gone and committed suicide. All right, so the church, you know, stays in Jerusalem. They're all gathered there. And one of the first things they do is to replace Judas, right? They replace Judas with a guy called, I think it's Matthias. They, they cast lots. There are two of them. But that church, that, those 12 disciples, apostles you will call them, who stay in Jerusalem are instrumental to the story of the church for 100 years. And even that concept of the church in Jerusalem is key as we continue. All right, so they're in Jerusalem waiting for prophecy to be fulfilled. But they're not just in Jerusalem chilling. They're not just playing cards or scrabble um, or just watching TV. Um, in Acts chapter 2, I think it is, um, the Bible says that, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They, they, they stay in the upper room. They're praying. You know, Jesus, you said you would send the Holy Spirit. And they're waiting. May I say to this person who is in a waiting season, please pray. Please pray. Part of the things we do when we are waiting for God to fulfill prophecy is that we pray. Pray when you come to church. Pray when you have family devotion. Pray when you're in a prayer meeting, but pray by yourself. Take time, leave the city, look for a quiet place, and pray. One of the things that I treasure the most for my life are seasons when I can pray. And this is me taking time out. Take one day, take two days, go and pray. Tell the person next to you, go and pray, go and pray. Yeah? Go and pray. Because prayer prompts, or prophecy prompts prayer. But there's something about prayer that creates the opportunity for what God wants to do to come to pass. A Messiah is prophesied that he will come. There are people who are praying about it. When Jesus shows up, a man called uh, Simon says, now I can go home. There's a lady there called Anna who has been praying. So the church starts out in prayer. Okay, starts out in prayer. So there are things which God wants to do in your life which require you to pray. There are things which God wants to do in our country which require people to pray. And what's exciting here is that they're praying, they're, you know, they're hanging out in one accord, and then the Bible says Pentecost happens. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes into the place. 
It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. I like to think that that means that as they prayed, that they were experiencing little, just little flashes. There were things happening here and there. But the Bible says, when it was fully come, the Bible says they were all with one accord, and then there was suddenly a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit was at the very beginning of the church. The church was never meant to run without the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to put down here Pentecost. The Holy Spirit starts out on the journey of the church. And we can never get so blessed as a church that we can do without the Holy Spirit. We can never do, get so mature as Christians that we can do without the Holy Spirit. Not everything about the Holy Spirit can be explained. In fact, let me say that again. There are a lot of things about the Holy Spirit which you have to explain to people. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and there are manifestations which make people think they are drunk. But we all like to be in control. So sometimes we do not let the Holy Spirit really take over. God forbid that you are in a board meeting one day and the Holy Spirit tries to manifest through you. Mani what? What? How? Board meeting. <laughs> Please. Oh. There's church. There's board meeting. Or that you're on a date. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. A fine lady from the choir who you have been trying to, you know, get her number. Follow him, he hooks you up, right? Because he's in charge, yeah? And then you are at this restaurant where you've, you know, you've used your whole month's salary to set up this date. Even got, uh, <laughs> you know, they're playing nice music at the back, you know, and the Holy Spirit comes, gives you a word of knowledge. <laughs> uh, but the Holy Spirit doesn't work with our time. It doesn't work with our shadows. And the truth is that he disrupts our lives. Yep, in a good way. Because Peter, Peter and the apostles really didn't want to come out that day. The truth is that the upper room was a bit of a hiding place. The truth is that they were still a bit bitter from this whole Jesus shows up makes them really famous for three and a half years. Everywhere they're going, they're shouting, Jesus, people can't read Jesus. Pizza, help me, show me the way, you know. And then suddenly he dies. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and then again, they can't control what is happening. They can't predict what is happening. The church, ladies and gentlemen, was never really meant to be very predictable. And so some of us, when we go into a meeting, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes, we start to text our friends. Eh -eh. They start it again. <laughs> Tell the person next to you, the Holy Spirit is going to take over you. The Holy Spirit is going to take over you, yeah? 
Ah, yes. yes yeah. I, so I, my prayer, my, my genuine prayer, I told them on Wednesday for us as a church, before the end of the year, is that you would see fire of the Holy Spirit on your life. You. Because I said to them on Wednesday that what will then happen is that then you and the Holy Spirit and that fire can have discussions about your life. So instead of me saying, oh, you should do this or not, no, 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 no. Then with the whole, you speaking in tongues, full of the whole, your friends are asking, what is happening, Kende? What is all this? Why are you, why is all this mumbling? Why are you, why are you singing? For somebody, you just be happy. For somebody's brand new levels of compassion, all that savagery is out of you. Amen. All that sarcasm, all that fighting people you don't know on social media, rude to your elders, is out of you. Yeah? <laughs> it's called the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, but I'm serious. So that's my prayer, that, that the Holy Spirit will have encounters with us that are beyond the, the, what your pastor can say or not say. That you would stand up in the middle of an office meeting one day and start to prophesy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going there. I'm coming because it's, I'm serious. That you would walk up to someone who, who you have feared for a long time and say, this is the word of God concerning you. That you would go out with your friends at night and somewhere around 1 a.m. the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I'm telling you. Ah. <laughs> because Pentecost, that's how it's that. This is so, because I, as I read through this, I, I realized, my goodness, well, the Holy Spirit must be having a, an amazing time hanging around some of us. Pentecost happens, they, the guys, it just scatters everything. They are speaking in tongues, and they're heading towards the temple. And they're like, these guys are drunk, early in the morning. And they're like, no. And then Peter takes the stage and begins to speak. He, he begins to preach such a powerful sermon. And, and like I said last week, it's interesting that when he begins to teach the gospel, he takes it out of the work of Israel, the promises of God in the Old Testament. And then the more he speaks, the more people are convicted. And then in verse 38 of Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, and Peter says to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, in brackets, Idris. <laughs> yeah, to all who are far off. When we're teaching on, on Wednesday, I said sometimes, so Ephesus, that church is in Turkey somewhere. It's a five-hour flight. So some of these things didn't happen far away. The Holy Spirit is looking for someone. And what happens after that? The Bible says in verse 41, that same day, 3,000 people are added to the church. One day with the Holy Spirit can change what has looked like a dark hiding place into a place that you can no longer recognize. So one day Peter and the rest of the guys are in the upper room having conversations about what could have been and what Jesus said that hasn't come yet. The next day Peter is boldly speaking 
And then 3,000 people, 3,000 people are saying, we are now followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you read down Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the Bible says, praising God and having favor with all, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So when you read Acts 2, Acts 3, 4, you just find it was, it was like night and day. But as the Holy Spirit comes, walks in their midst, they're united together. It's an amazing thing. The family of God is birthed. The Bible says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They broke bread. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 4, it is so romantic. The Bible says, and the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So it means I finish service, I go out, I say, this is your Lexus Jeep, can I just use it down the road? She prays in tongues and says, here's the key. You don't even, oh, don't even bring it back. You can have it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, but there was such a, it was like them saying, no, we are now part of one body. And, and it's important for us as church to constantly come together in, in service, in thought, in deed, that remind us that we're actually one members one of another. Because there is a way you can live as a Christian where you pretend that you are the church and that you exist by yourself. But there's something called sharing. And you know, the Bible says, so even the things they had, and that is, and, and I'll be honest with you, not all of this is easy for me to interpret because my iPad is my iPad. That's the, my watch is my watch. My wife is definitely my wife. <laughs> but so sometimes when we say, let's have breakfast in the morning, bring food, sometimes that's what we're doing. We're sharing. Tell the person next to you, share with me. Share with me. Share with me. <laughs> hey. But guess what? And, and this is important as we, within, it doesn't take long. So Pentecost, the church is growing. So 3,000 people on the first day. And that's a big church already. For those of you who say, I don't like small churches, this is the number life point is targeting 3,000. All right? We'll put some outside there, some outside there. Something like 3,000. But this is, I'm saying, first day of the church, 3,000. So that's a small church. A small church is some, the first day of the church is three. That's a small church. 3,000. <laughs> yep. I don't like mega churches. Oh, they're just big, full. No, this is it. This is how we started. 3,000. So that's a new target for LifePoint. But it's another story. And, but they keep on growing, right? And they continue. They broke bread. They shared things. Oh, there's Ananias and Sapphira. We don't want to go into that story. Hash stuff, right? But but the church moves from what I call a family kind of setting into a fellowship, right? And then somewhere around Acts chapter 6, huh, this growth begins to bring up some strange things. So Acts chapter 6, the Bible says, 
that there were a couple of people called the Hellenistic Jews. Now, they were Jews, but they had not grown up in Jerusalem. So they had grown up in other parts uh, uh, of the world, but they were Jews. They were more familiar with the Greek way of life. They, they, they could speak Greek, some of them. But the Bible says that by Acts chapter 6, some grumbling and murmuring shows up. So I read it to you. It says, Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so 3,000 was multiplying, right? I don't know how many it was now. The Bible says there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good repute, reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they appoint the first batch of, in fact, I think scripture calls them Dickens. Yep, leave that scripture up there. Thank you. And so they choose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timoni, or Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Timoni, they've been rolling in church for a while. That's a very good Christian name. All right? But, but this is what I'm saying to you guys. That part of the growth of the church will always bring the issues you would find with any large organization. In fact, when we are all Jews, that is fine. When you bring in the Hellenistic Jews, it gets a bit more complicated. When you then bring in the Greeks and then the Yoruba people... <laughs> even more complicated. When LifePoint started, what, this is three and a half, four years ago, we were a little family, and everybody knew everybody. I, if I, was, we, we, I knew everybody's name. Well, at least most people. I think everybody, yeah? I probably knew more, I knew every, kind of knew everybody-ish. Apart from the, like, real hiders, we were like... And then, by the next year, we had grown a bit more. But if you, if you were with LifePoint when we started, and now you realize the slightly different feel. So even the people who you know their names, you do not know what they do anymore. Yep. And so sometimes people have difficulties being in a local assembly as it grows. I wrote in my notes yesterday that the ability to spiritually uh, with the wisdom of God, manage the growth and organization of Christian communities is a gift that we will need badly in the coming days. Because as the church grows, they want to retain that, those values of Acts chapter 4, where they have everything in common, they are sharing, but you are 3,000 people, you're multiplying. And then guys are complaining, no, this is not fair. Is it because we are not like, like real core Jews that our widows are not getting served. Also, because 
oh, I get it now. So because I am not, I am not, um, <laughs> oh, that's why Pierre doesn't call me on my birthday. That's, that's it now. That, no, but that's why, because I know he called, I was with my friend, and he called her. Then I heard he called the other, but he didn't call me. And then we look for a reason why something doesn't happen to us in church. But the local church, the church begins to restructure and organize. One of the things I love is the fact that, you know, Peter says here, he says, look, guys, there is a core work of Christian leadership. He says it is the ministry of the word and prayer. Please ask your leaders, are you praying for us? Ask them on a constant basis. In fact, I think we've kind of, you know, we're trying to work it out, but on a weekly basis, there should be some communal prayer between you and those in the local assembly that you're in. That someone picks up the phone and says, in the name of Jesus, and then you pray together for a minute, or you're in a prayer meeting, because prayer is key to the work of God in a church. And so, Peter says, look, the church is growing. He says, but we must protect the work of prayer and the word of We must protect it. Because a church can sometimes become so excited in growth that nobody is praying anymore. That nobody is studying scripture anymore. But anyway, this is the exciting part of it, you know. So they appoint deacons, you know. And, and so you would find people who also struggle with the institutional um, form of the church. Like, why, why does the church need to be structured? This is kind of the reason. Because God, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, will cause churches to grow. And then they appoint deacons, and there's a basis full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. So the answer to murmuring, the answer to discontent within a church or a local assembly is not always prayer. Sometimes it's just restructuring. Anyway, but this is still all nice. And, and, and I wish I could tell you that the story of the church just progresses like this. They keep on growing. But, but no. Somewhere, I think Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, something we do not expect happens. I read it to your hearing. Acts chapter 4, the Bible says, And as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now evening. the emergence of something called persecution. Persecution. And I told them on Wednesday that one thing that the Christian life is not or has in, in, in huge supply is drama. If you want to live a drama-free life, the Christian faith is not exactly the place. Because, but, but picture this now. So let's, let's, let's walk backwards. We're in Jerusalem. Jesus has died. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit comes. Oh, fantastic. So we're doing things. People have been added to the church. And then suddenly, 
You know, and, and imagine how Peter and the guys feel. They're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is what Jesus was talking about. You know, 3,000 here, you know, 5,000 here on a daily basis we're praying. Okay, so these people are a bit upset about the food, not getting to the widows. Okay, that's fine. But suddenly, persecution comes. And what happens? The leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, show up and say, you, you cannot preach Jesus anymore. Acts chapter 4 and verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we have heard or seen and heard. Persecution arises. Persecution arises. And I wish I could tell you that this was just people sending them on friendly tweets or hash messages in their DM or just dragging them around social media. No, it wasn't. It, um, it's actually people beating people up. That's really harsh. I mean, I don't, have you been beaten because of your faith before? This is people just saying, but we told you not to preach but when they say they laid hands on them, it doesn't mean they just tapped them. No, 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 no. They laid hands on them. We read Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. The Bible says, didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said to them, We ought to obey God rather than men. Persecution will arise because of the Christian faith. In fact, if you do not want to be persecuted, there is a form of the Christian life that you can get. It's socially acceptable, but people will not trouble you. It's like, a, like sometimes you buy a car and they tell you this is just the, they don't have all this. But there is a form of the Christian life that comes with persecution and pressure. The deal they offer them, don't preach the gospel and we will not harass you. Do not speak about Jesus and we will not harass you. Help me ask the person next to you, are you being persecuted? Huh? Or are you not talking about Jesus? Huh? <sighs> because, uh, because this was such a night. And I keep on wondering what was in the heart of Peter, of John, of James... Had they not suffered enough? I mean, first this guy comes, disrupts your career. You are, a, you are the, you, the top fisherman in the area. They know you in the area. Nobody catches fish like you. He comes, takes your boat, takes your reputation. Okay, things peak three years. Then he dies, leaves you. Today, I... I... I 
as we talk about the early church, it's important that you understand that the faith that you carry, the faith that we, 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 so, we so boldly speak about and sing about today, that some price was paid. Uh, let me talk about this guy, because this is important. Because once persecution comes, there's a gentleman that is central to the, the growth of the church forever, a guy called Paul. Paul, when Paul shows up, Paul is not a Christian, guys. Paul is at the core of the persecution. In fact, I think it's in Acts chapter, Acts chapter seven, when Acts chapter six, when they're about to take one of these deacons and they're about to kill him, a guy called Stephen. And Stephen is a different case. You know, he's full of faith and power. The Bible says. And the Bible says that he's there, they're about to kill him. Stephen is testifying of Jesus. I was talking to my friend yesterday and I said, for some of us, it is hard to process Stephen. Because you're like, guy, all they said is shut up. Don't talk about Jesus. When you just stop, don't talk, then later you can talk. Why did you keep on talking? No, but why? Till the point where they stone you. And this is not like small stones, you know. This is real big stones. They kill you. The Bible says, as all this is happening, Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, Saul was consenting to his death. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3, talking about Saul, the Bible says, and Saul was consenting to his death, and there there arose a great persecution against the church that was in Jerusalem, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. He said, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul is an agent of persecution. <laughs> is a, but you know, summary, God stops Saul, changes his name to Paul. God interrupts his madness, interrupts his life. It's amazing how much ministry is often encoded in our mistakes. Is often encoded in our weaknesses, in our failures, in our sufferings. The truth is that we cannot choose who God uses for certain purposes. Because if it was you and me in a committee in heaven, asked by God who should take this gospel to the, to the Gentiles and beyond, even the angel that brought Paul's name would have said, how? No, you and I would have told you, you and I would never have again. He's a murderer. What would heaven say? Let him repent. Appear, the guy smokes weed, though. He cooks with the weed, yeah. He, he cannot take Bible study, never, never. This professor you have, yeah, go and check it again. P.I., I don't know if you know this, but my father, my father is a, has a friend who is a doctor. And he said, one day this girl came to our house, and, and 
the comment they made, Pia, okay, Pia, I don't know how to tell you, but she's had abortions. Hmm. I, I just, Pia, you know, the church is the foundation, the pillar of truth, and so I have to tell you, this is not like I'm gossiping. <laughs> but she's had abortions, not one, not two. We cannot legislate who God used. Because if, if Paul was a murderer, I would never have chosen him. Even if he said he had repented, I was, and you repent and let's wait and watch you. <laughs> I'm telling you, okay, maybe even Usher first. Sorry, sorry to our ushers. Don't like the ushers. Like the, I take that back. Don't even Usher. <laughs> can, can imagine the ushers waiting for me by the car. Pia, what do you mean? <laughs> you know? But, but, but Paul, just come and sit down in church. Let's even know. So there's somebody here. You are in a cult. And God has dragged you out, but you have disqualified yourself from being of use in the house of God. Yep. Help me talk to your neighbor. Say, are you the one? Are you, are you the one? Someone here, you say, ah, oh, no, Pierre, my body counts. It's, it's high. Uh, say, okay, but I have to, I have to. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've slept with a lot of people, and I knew it wasn't right. I've done unprintable things. When Paul begins to describe this whole transaction with God, he says, me, I was the chief among sinners. He says, but it was God's intention to show the richness of his mercy. He says, so when these Lagosians show up, they will understand that the way they drove in traffic was bad, but God can still use them. That you should not have robbed that woman in California of her money. Talking to the IT students amongst us. But God can still use you. But you heard the Holy Spirit telling you, this thing you are wearing for this date, it is too short. You say went. But the morning after that, God's mercy hasn't left you. <laughs> hey. Someone say, Pierre, just move from this place. Yeah, should not move, eh? Paul is, is interesting because Paul is a Jew, yet he's a Roman citizen, yet he can speak Greek. And I don't know who this person is here today who, when you look at your life, sometimes you're not sure why you are so, why you're multi-talented, why you have all these things. You can sing and you can draw. And you can talk and, and you can organize. And one time you were an interior decor person and then you've moved. Now you are a hairstylist. At, at the same time, you're learning uh, some computer language. Your friends are asking, everybody, your parents believe you are confused. <laughs> but God can still use you. It's amazing who we never hear of again in Scripture. But the fact that we do not hear of some of these people does not mean that God doesn't use them. Anyway, I need to progress. But see, one day we'll have to do a Bible study on Paul. Because Paul shows up and God doesn't give him a break. God doesn't allow him settle. Oh, oh, oh I nearly forget this. Because just before Paul shows up and starts to preach to the Gentiles, the Jews, Peter, who is the leader of the church, yeah, well, some people say Peter, some people say James. But Peter, who is one of the leaders of the church, has an interesting encounter. 
he's, you know, one day he's, I think he's fasting or something, you know, and he's on the top of someone's roof. Maybe that's what, like, the cool thing to do in those days. Yeah? And then, yes. And then, um, let's see, Acts chapter, I think, anyway, Acts chapter 8. Peter is having this conversation, and then God shows up and says, look, I am sending you somewhere you have not been before. He shows him a vision. And Peter begins to argue with God and says, you know that I have never taken anything that is unclean before. But God is setting Peter up. In fact, God is not just setting Peter up. He's setting the church up. So he says, look, at the same time God is having a conversation with Peter, he's having a conversation with a guy called Cornelius. One thing I love about Cornelius, the Bible says he's a man of prayer. The Bible says he prayed to God always. I keep saying this that there are things that God wants to do on the earth that require praying people. When you read Acts chapter 10, I think it's verse 2 or verse 3, the Bible says, Colinius prayed to God always. And so when God wants to take this gospel, which up until this time is kind of circulating around the Jews, when he wants to take it to the Gentiles, he's looking for someone who has been praying. And so when God wants to take the gospel to maybe, I don't know what demography, maybe IT people, maybe bankers, maybe people who live in this posh estate in Ikoyi, he's looking for people who are praying. And so God has this, you know, conference call. He has Cornelius on one side and Peter on the other side. And he brings them together. And that encounter, guys, is one where Cornelius is not a Jew. But Peter, you know, moved by God, goes to Cornelius' house, and as Peter is talking, you know, to them, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes upon the place. And the guys who go with Peter are astonished. Acts 10, 44. The Bible says, and when Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard. And those who of the circumcision who believed were astonished. They were shocked. As many as came, as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. But it's interesting that the one who opens the door is not the one who God calls to walk through it. No wonder Paul will say, one planted, another watered. God is the one who gives the increase. And for someone, you need to know when God is asking you to open the door and step aside. Because someone is still struggling with God. God, I opened this door. I must walk through it. But it says, Peter, all I needed you to do, because you're a pillar in the church, was to show that the Holy Spirit would also come upon the Gentiles. And then he brings Paul. And Paul was choleric. Paul was a, you know, he was like, he was on steroids. Ha, God. Paul you know, because Paul is the, I, I don't know any other person. It definitely couldn't have been me. They beat me once. I'm retiring. They can talk to me on social media, but beating, like physical beating, bang, 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 bang. Then one time they left him for dead. Ha! Even your disciples will be telling you, this is not the will of God. <laughs> no, God cannot, no. Even, God cannot lead us where they will disgrace us now. Even you know it. 
They're just saying, Pastor Paul, is this not proof? One place there, Paul is going out there, prophets are telling Paul, okay, this place you're going, we perceive by the Holy Spirit you're going to die. He said, ah, let's go. <laughs> he will like PC and the guys who were following him. <laughs> so in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 7 to 10, Paul begins to write about this whole experience. And as I talk about this thing, guys, please hear me. But this is not just history. It is the story of God's love looking for you, planning for you. He says to Jeremiah, since before you were formed, I knew you. While you were in your mother's womb. So even before, God knew that he had to bring the gospel to us. In fact, there's a guy called Philip in Acts chapter 6, I think, who has an encounter with someone who used to work for the queen of Ethiopia. And Ethiopia is not far away. He has an encounter with him, converts the guy, baptizes the guy. The guy goes on his way. So the gospel is already on its way to Lagos by Acts chapter 6. It's so many. It's not far. Someone who's been feeling unloved, unthought of, that God doesn't... Nobody's... No, that's not true, guys. The people around you might be blind, but God is not blind. So in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel to the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter. For he who walked effectively in Peter, for the apostleship to the circumcised also walked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. Verse 9 says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the Jews. So Paul heads off to the Gentiles, people who were not Jews, and then the church in Jerusalem is still there, and they say, look, James, uh, John, you know, uh, Peter, he said, we stay here, and we minister to the Jews. And then the gospel is, is you, so you need to read the book of Acts. The gospel is spreading. So Paul heads out in I think it's three or four journeys. You know, they take him through different places. He goes to, he sets up churches in different places. So, for example, he goes to Ephesus. Yeah, we looked at that on, on Wednesday. He goes to Antioch. In fact, Scripture says that when they're in Antioch, is the first place, guess what happens there? So you should know this, that they're called Christians. <laughs> you don't know it? You knew? Okay. But it's the first place they're called Christians. Because all the while, they're, to, they're called all sorts of names. <laughs> they're called disciples. In fact, there's the term, the way. But when they get to Antioch, they say, these guys are like Christ. So they call them Christians. So they set up a headquarters for the Gentile church. I mean, there's one in Antioch. They go to Corinth, set up a church. They go to Ephesus, set up a church. Meanwhile, there's the back and forth between the church in Jerusalem and the churches that have been set up. Who has God sent me to? In fact, as you, as, you, as you think through all this, some of the New Testament writings, this is how they come up. Because Paul ends up in jail. I think after doing like three or so trips, he ends up in jail. And while he's in jail, he begins to write letters to the church. So he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. And we read it today. He, he writes another one to the church in Corinth. And to the church in Galatia. 
Who has God sent me to? Who has God sent me to? Okay, I, I, need to, I need to put this, we need to land. The first hundred years of the church, I, read, I was reading through a history book over the weekend, and the guy says there are three or four things that he thinks are so important that led to the spread of the gospel so quickly. He says it is the depth of the conviction that these guys had. He says it is the fact that the church is ministered to needs. He says it is the fact that the love they had for one another was something that distinguished the church through that phase. Okay? It says, lastly, persecution pushed the gospel. Because the, the, these guys, so, so people like Peter could stay in Jerusalem because they were, they were Jews and to be, to be, I mean, historians say they still went to the synagogue. They, they would teach, but they were, they were actually Jews. But the guys who were not Jews, face the brunt of the persecution. You need to read the book of Acts. In some cities, they would accept the gospel and then one day an uprising. And they would, they would just beat, they would beat these guys. Oh, but I, I should tell you that, that all through the book of Acts, they would see all sorts of signs and wonders. When Paul, I think he's in Ephesus, the Bible says that all sorts of miracles are happening. That they would even come and take handkerchiefs from his body. <sighs> so, this is 70 years, so like I say, 70 AD, 70. The church has spread. Most of the apostles who had been with Jesus had died, but they had not just died. They had been killed. When you read history, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. Everybody scatters. The Roman Empire takes some very drastic steps when it comes to Christians. And so most of the apostles, most of the early apostles were killed. But the church begins to spread even as persecution happens. The young bishops like Timothy, who have been asked to lead churches, are not so young anymore. And so when we continue, we'll start that conversation about what we call the Orthodox Church. It's interesting that the whole concept of an Orthodox Church is not what we think it is. But guys, this is where I want us to land and to pray today. The biggest question that has been on my heart as I consider the first 1700 years of the church was why for crying out loud, that these guys live the way they lived. I could not understand it. Who, who, who lets people kill him because of the gospel? Ha! Then how will you not live for Christ? They kill you. How? <laughs> you know how we rationalize it. I want to live for you, Lord, not die. But I realized that the closer and the clearer the reality of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice on the cross was for the people the easier it was for them to lay down everything for the gospel. These guys had seen Jesus. It wasn't, they didn't read it from a book. It had seen Jesus die on the cross. The early church was bettered by a burial. They were bettered in sacrifice. Can we, life point, lay it all down for Jesus?
that perhaps there are really no part-time Christians. There's no long distance here. Perhaps it's a full-time engagement after all. As I was preparing for this, I kept hearing in my heart the fact that we're too much in control, that we're still too much in charge, that with the patriarchs, every time they would sacrifice something, you would check Abraham, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire, God's fire would come upon it. They would put a sacrifice. God's fire would. And they began to say to me that sacrifice was something that the early church understood. That once the sacrifice was laid out, that the fire will fall. And sometimes we, we do not understand that when people went for water, water baptism, one of the things they were sacrificing was how people knew them before. And so when they stood before the community and said, I publicly accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, it, they had, if, if you were a happening guy before, it ended there. But, but you know, nowadays we, we, we kind of manage our, we have different faces for the different places of our lives. I, I sense that as we walk through this, that God is calling us as a church to a deeper place of sacrifice. And I don't know what that means for you. For someone, it's Romans 12 too, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. For someone else, God is asking you to serve. I said to myself, Idris, would, if, if you had the chance, would you die for the gospel? Hey, it's not a question I, I, I discuss in front of my wife for obvious reasons. But I'm not saying God wants you to die for the gospel. But I suspect he does want you to sacrifice for him. And not to sacrifice in vain. He's saying, look, I've given everything for you. He says, would you give everything for me? I remember that old love song that talks about love and talks about 730. Really, you understand that love? You don't understand that song. It says, oh, God. I should say, I can't sing it now. I'm preaching. <laughs> But the song, and follow me, no, no, you should not sing the song. But it says, it's not good loving someone. I remember. Loving somebody when somebody loves you back. Is that how it goes? And the woman then began, ah, God, I'm old. And then she says, oh, it's not 70, 30. Would you, and for someone saying, well, P.I., I can't do 100%, but would you do 50% first? Would you do, would you do, 30%. Would you trust God with a bit more of your life? Psalm 51, the writer begins to talk about the sacrifice of our shattered hearts. It's interesting how sometimes we think what God wants from us is our perfect, wonderful sacrifice. And you should give God the best that you have. The challenge for some of us is that the best that we have is actually blemished, is actually broken. Like Paul, the best that Paul had when he shows up before God is a record that, is, that has blood stains on it. I don't know who lost something recently, lost someone. I don't know who has been dragged into the manger. 
even though they were expectant with birth and thought, look, my goodness, I should be given somewhere where I can birth forth what God has put inside, but now you're with animals. I, I don't know who God is saying, would you sacrifice both the perfect and what you think is not perfect? Paul says, Philippians 2.17, yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. To Timothy, he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. For I've been poured out already as a drink offering. When disciples speak to Jesus, they say, we've left everything. Can we leave, at least leave most things? <laughs> because I think it was Shubami who once said that thing here about how, you know, when we say we've given everything to Christ, that sometimes... We, we don't hear the irony. I paraphrase what she said because for some of us, we've only given him a little bit. But this is how the gospel moves. That's how love moves. God is looking for people who are willing to sacrifice everything. But like I said, you should start from some things. And some of you, there are conversations about your money that you need to have with God. That's the truth. Some of us, is about our time. Some of us, is our ambitions and our aspirations. It's what we're willing to do for God, with God, because of God, by God. May I lead us, church, in a prayer this Sunday. May I ask that as we pray that you consider that you were born for such a time as this. Well, the Bible says we have such a cloud of witnesses so people like Paul and Peter and James stand in the balconies of your life and they look at you and they're cheering you on and they're saying, Akko, you know we, we've done this part. Is a relay? You can do it. They're calling you. They're saying, Kende, we believe in you. And they're saying this example we lay before you, that God, whom we laid everything before, he never fails us. There are so many lives in the early church times that we would find it hard to categorize our successes all by themselves. But my goodness, what does God think about them? So I'll give you a minute or so to quietly contemplate what you want to do with your life. Before we sing another song, or even speak in tongues, I'll ask you, church, that you would please consider making an offering to God. That there's someone who's been trying to pretty up their sacrifice. Who's been trying to say, Lord, let me wash it first. Let me clean it up. Let me make it look good. There's somebody who's only giving God 10 and God's saying, would we have a discussion about 50? Someone, there's a prophecy over your life. It's in your name. Every time your name is called, your heart shudders. God says, look, would you let the fire of the Holy Spirit fall upon your sacrifice? Love does not hold back. It's easy to sing a worship song. It's easier to sing five worship songs. But Lord says, can I have your career? Can I have your gifts? For someone else, he says, can I have your fears so that you and I can go to the places where 
they said you could never go. That lady who's had an abortion, God says, would you let me tell your story? Would you let me use your voice? We will sing a song, but I just feel that this is, there is such a big offering in this minutes of choir prayer. There is such a big offering here. I don't know who you are. There's such a huge offering. It says Paul wouldn't have even called himself. It says, so I know you constantly on a daily basis disqualify yourself. But love has been calling you. The Holy Spirit has been chasing after you for days. He sets you up. He sets you up. Everything I give to you Withholding nothing Withholding nothing We surrender We surrender I have in my heart that there are people who are in what we would call an upper room, a safe, comfortable place. Would you ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon your life this morning, today, not knowing necessarily the outcomes of this conversation? But trusting that God, who created you, knows you. So we're going to sing a song and ask the Holy Spirit to come upon our hearts and our lives. But I ask you, especially for that person who is hiding in an upper room, I ask you that this is a good day to trust God. This is not a man, but he should lie, not a son of man, to repent from the things that he has said. As he said it, he will do it. As he spoken it, he will bring it to pass. That you are not a mystic or random statistical occurrence. So, follow me, if we've got a song and we're simply asking the Holy Spirit to come, that's our prayer. With the Holy Spirit. 
Where the sacrifice is, I have Holy Spirit come and Can we just the voices, please? I apologize. Sing. A heavy, a heavy situation that has troubled on my mind. All my cares and burdens unto you. about sacrifice about happening in this place and in people's hearts Heavenly Father I recognize that this is a holy moment and, and I thank you for it. the people who God is talking to you about your, your career I don't know why I've been drawn there your career Someone who is saying, Lord, but it's not enough. It's a little boy's lunch. God says, Thanksgiving turns it around. Someone else is saying, they just have a jar of oil. Holy Spirit.
Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.com.